major objective. Blah, 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 secret base. Blah, 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 plan. Blah, 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 nuclear missile bomb. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Whoa, Rick, check this guy out. He's really, he's got a lot going on for him. Silence, Morty. Hey everybody, this is your good friend, Dr. David Proden, the safety doc, down here in the North Star Recording Studio where it is a brisk 82 degrees and humid. Uh, But that's better than outside where it is 100 degrees and humid. Thank you so much for following the show. We focus on school and community uh, safety, anything that we can do to make you safer in your setting. So today's guest on the Safety Doc Podcast, Clay Martin. He is a former USMC infantryman, reconnaissance marine, and scout sniper. Clay crossed the deck to the U.S. Army and spent the rest of his career in special forces because he is a glutton for punishment. Medically retired at 15 years of service, he wandered the earth like Kane from Kung Fu before remembering he could type and started a career as a gun review monkey and novelist. He's the author of The Last Son of the War God and The Sword of Caliphate, fictional works. Recently, he wrote Concrete Jungle, a Green Beret's Guide to Urban Survival. Unfortunately, a nonfiction book, very appropriate to these times that we live in. He currently lives in the Pacific Northwest with his lovely wife, two dogs, and a pack of feral dogs. No, two sons and a pack of feral dogs. <laughs> you were kind of right the first time. I was. I was. <laughs> no. So, um, and and just first of all, your 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 book, I'm going to bring it up and, and share it on screen here. Your most current book, uh, Concrete Jungle. So let me make the studio do the things it needs to do here. All right. Um, so this is off of, of Amazon right now, Concrete Jungle, the Green Beret's Guide to Urban Survival. Paperback uh, came out June 9th, 2020. And also on Clay's website, generous portions of this book are also available for free. But uh, 54 reviews, I've, I've read the reviews. People are, are fascinated. They're like, yes, this, this applies to what I'm seeing in my setting right now. I'm learning from this. Um, I, I loved um, you know, the excerpts. I have it as a book that I'm going to order. Um, it, was, it was interesting, Clay. Because uh, I was I was listening to a, another very popular podcast uh, a few nights ago, and suddenly the the group of guys in the podcast were saying, "Hey, there's there's a, you know this book out here, Concrete Jungle by Clay Martin, and you know you should check it out." And one of them had had read it, was talking about it, and then I jumped in and said, "I I'm having Clay on the show tonight. Uh, you know, Saturday um, he, he's going to be on he's going to be on my show, so tune in." They're like, "Oh my god!" And I said, "Yeah, it's uh, his stuff is incredible." So yeah, go to Amazon and you know it's right there, paperback eight ninety nine. Again, you will not be disappointed. And I, I think what I found about this clay is there. It's it's everything. Um, all the questions that people are asking me in my neighborhood when I'm walking around talking with my neighbors. Um, what might we do? Um, you know, if our area was compromised, if a protest turned violent, uh, worked its way into our neighborhood. Um, just very straight on advice f- for people. Things, f- things for them to uh, consider. So I'm going to get us out of here. Hey, uh, shout out to Sass Too Many 
in the chat. Sass, thank you so much for being here. Um, and a little housekeeping here at the start of the show. Thank you for supporting my work, School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America, hardback. You can also get that off of Amazon. Um, a lot about, obviously, chaos theory in that book. Follow the channel. Give a thumbs up to the channel. Follow on Twitter and just keep supporting this important network that we have. So, um, first of all, you know, congratulations on Concrete Jungle. Uh, the ranking is 6,836 in books. And when we talk about millions and millions of books that are selling on Amazon, that's that's incredible. That's phenomenal. That's a huge success very, right out of the gate. I've been so, very happy about that. Yeah, man. Uh, great, uh, great job. And, and as someone, you know, that has has a book on Amazon and being able to look at these numbers and, and the immediate um, number of, of ratings that people are, are putting for your book, it's, it's, it's successful. It's very much needed, very uh, much hit, um, you know, hit a target market. So. You had a crazy start to 2020 as if this hasn't been a year that we've all been wondering what's going on. You know, yesterday I was out shopping and every place I went to was like, we only accept exact change. <laughs> so would you like to round up? I'm like, well, I guess I'll pay with a credit card. And, and you know, my bank was, you know, you can only take out so much at a time and stuff like that. I'm like, I guess we're cashless society now. But uh, you had, what happened at the, the start of the year for you? I think it was a, it was a house, house fire. And, and I guess... Tell me about, you know, that, how it, it, it kind of, you know, changed life for everybody. And, and then I, you know, we want to take that and kind of roll it into then obviously a couple of months later, coronavirus hits and here you are just recovering from, from a house. But um, yeah, tell me, it's horrible. Everybody's safe, right? Not, nobody was. Yeah, nobody no, I'm was fine. yeah we, we were actually out of town. But I, it's pretty incredible, and this is actually one of the things that I saw when I was looking at you before I agreed to come on the podcast. I, I saw your work with uh, with the safety stuff and the chaos theory, as as well as this, especially I think your look into how people deal with with chaos. Well, I mean, we've had an exceptional twenty twenty, even by twenty twenty standards. Uh, we lost our house uh, late January, like almost the end of January. About a week later, I'm in the hospital with a uh, blood clot in my right arm that's extended all the way down my right arm and into both lungs. So I'm down for the count, like a, like literally, you know, ten days later. Wow. And then that's right in the middle of February when I get you know out of the hospital, released, get back home, is right when COVID, if you were paying attention, at least really started taking off. Yeah. 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 I, we were already seeing, like, I had some conspiracy theory buddies were like, "Oh, this, you know, bad stuff's happening in China," and I was ignoring it still, like, "Oh yeah, whatever, you know, not my problem." But uh, to, to me, really, around that same time is right when COVID became something you couldn't ignore in this country if you paid attention. So we've already had all this other stuff happen. And for me and my family, at least, now we've got to get ready for this potential COVID storm in a rental house with nothing. Nothing, because uh, you uh, you sent me a photo um, that I used it in some of the artwork promo for this the show, and then you were sharing. Yeah, it, it was one of the photos that you, that you had left, right? Because a lot of stuff had had been burned up. So right. tell me, tell me about the process. Um, I guess for your family, how did they, uh, how did they recognize? Okay, the house is burned down, and, and I guess accept that, you know, and not languish in that, and say we've got to move on. We got to get to the next step. Okay, so we've got to find a place to live. 
um, get it, you know, whatever things together that we've lost, kind of rebuild. And then you get hammered with um, you being in the hospital. You get hammered again. We're talking what about a 60, 90 day stretch here. You get hammered with coronavirus of saying things are going to be shut down. We're going to have this, you know, um, how, how did you process through that? How did your family process through that? Um, were there tips uh, that you can share with us? Did, did anybody just kind of lose it? And you had to sit down and say, hey, we've, we've got to recalibrate you to what's happening here because we have no choice but to deal with it and move on. Well, it's a, it's really kind of a weird study, in my opinion. This is something that uh, I've kind of been learning about since my retirement, uh, which uh, I've been retired for like seven years now. You think I'd be more caught up with this kind of stuff. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that like as a former like special operations soldier, you have a very hard time relating to what normal people see as like a chaotic environment uh, just because you live such a weird life. Right. Which kind of makes sense. Uh, So, you know, I lived up until I was 33 this entire life of like, you know, just mayhem all the time. Like, oh, we're at home. Like, oh, the phone rang. Oh, we got to go to Kerflakistan and execute the minister, whatever, you know. Yeah. This this weird life. Well, it, it turns out that most people I, I'm learning now don't deal with that level of chaos nearly as well, like like not even a little bit. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird thing uh, to have all this happen at once, and then it roll like you said, rolling right into the coronavirus. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it's definitely something I noticed for for probably the first time in a long time of like how this is like not a, not a huge thing to me. Like, okay, we still have, you know, a backpack and, you know, two water bottles will be fine. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my kids are fortunately little, I don't know if that's fortunate or not. They're two and four. So they were not handling it really well either. Like, you know, where's our toys? Why are we living in these weird Airbnbs until we get the actual rental house that we're going to be in for a while? Uh, so yeah, definitely a different look. So how about, how about your wife? How, how did she, um, how, how'd she handle it? I mean, my wife is a trooper, but uh, I mean, I think she definitely had a couple of moments, uh, especially when I went to the hospital too. I think that was like, that was the bad one. That was the one that was like, you know, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, so, you know, she did, I would say remarkably well, but yeah, it, it definitely like occurred to me that during this, that she wasn't gonna be able to handle these kinds of stresses in the same way that I am. So did she have, um, did, who, who was her network to go and, and, you know, was it like family, relatives, friends, um, you know? Someone- well, we're, we're kind of fortunate in that regard too. We live in, we actually live in Boise where she was born and raised. So her okay. whole family's here, you know, she, she's lived her entire life. But, you know, like you said, with the networking and stuff though, Corona kind of cut that off because also coming out of the hospital, now I've got this double uh, uh, pulmonary embolism. So I'm a compromised person. And especially in the early days of COVID, what did we really think was, was it was scary for everybody with any kind of lung issue. So we had to like right. seal it off. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was wild. It was a wild ride. Um, situational awareness. So, uh, and I, I want to let people know, I'm going to get to a point um, in a little while, but you, you you wrote about this and you said, you know, since 1941 in, in the United States, people, civilians have been largely protected and insulated from, you know, I guess what what we've experienced now, you know, civil civil unrest, statues being, you know, right. ripped down, um, 
coronavirus, people being told you have to stay in your house, uh, stores that don't have supplies, things like that. So, um, you know, it, it is true that, you know, people haven't been, I guess, sharpening their skills, sharpening the knife because, you know, it's been 60 years of, of you know, or more than 60 years of, of pretty stable times. So, from external threats, especially, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, so situational awareness, uh, knowing what's happening around you and your environment, also picking up on the little cues of, uh, you know, like uh, I'm getting this type of information from some friends who live, you know, somewhere else. Um, as an expert in situational awareness, I guess, what what do you tune into? How do you practice situational awareness? And then if if you can give some examples of like, what were the very first things you started to pick up on with the coronavirus? Like little uh, things and you'd be like, ah, this is this is not going to go well, or I've got to take this step or like, um, what did you pick up on before? Maybe most people, it, it wasn't something that they were paying attention to. Well, I think you, you got to kind of look at this from, from two angles. One is like, what did I see about the coronavirus? And the second piece or the first piece or how we want to look at that is how do you train your brain to start recognizing these? Absolutely. Pieces? Absolutely. So, I think situational awareness is a, is a, is a weird one uh, to talk about, especially in like in like books and stuff. Although, I mean, there should be more books written on it by by people that come from like my line of work. I think because a lot of I mean, they just they don't have it. They lack it completely unless you grew up in like a really rough area for the most part, uh, which I unfortunately at the time, but it, it definitely benefited me later. Did you know people that grew up in like New York in the seventies when things were really rough there? You know, if they were a survivor, they learned all these things naturally. Yeah. It's kind of like an evolved process. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, I would say probably, you know, your residents of, uh, you know, Chicago, you know, some other other bad places too. Now, you can learn it as well. Uh, and where I've kind of seen this play out is, uh, okay, then I get into the special operations world first in the Marine Corps and then in the Army. But especially in the Marine Corps, I was a young guy, you know, they spend a lot of time and money making sure that you can like read situations. Uh, there's, you know, hours and hours and hours of training devoted to, you know, just ruining your day. If you missed a small detail, uh, you know, one of the biggest things about going to like sniper school yeah, is not, is not shooting. It's uh, it's you with a set of binos looking at things or walking through somewhere like on your way to, you know, eat lunch or something. And later you'll be asked a question about what was on the sidewalk over there, you know, three feet off the, absolutely, you know, whatever. and you know, you better know. So uh, a lot of it goes into just that, that level of detail, like opening your brain up to start processing more. Uh, so, I mean, you've, you've just got to see things that stick out. And as you start to work on that mindset, if you also read into it with, what could hurt me right now? What's, what's yeah. out there potentially coming and, and snatch me up your brain just kind of naturally starts to develop this kind of like radar for, for bad things. Uh, and that's something you can work on every day. Something you should be working on every day. So give me an example of, um, a, you know, a time, um, you know, maybe during uh, sniper training or whatever, when, when something was intentionally set up and yeah, you're, you're going through and you're like, boom, there it is. Like I picked it up. Like that's a, that's a danger. Um, and, or even something like, you know, right, right now, give, give me one or two examples of, of where your sense is, um, because you're, you're tuning into that situational awareness. Yeah. That you picked it out. I'm going to give you a better one. I'm going to give you one where it didn't work. Okay. So, <laughs> because I feel like it's where, that's where you learn a lot from. 
so it was uh, it was two thousand and one. Uh, it was October, uh, so it was after after the uh, you know tower spell and all this. Yes. Yep, we're up, in, we're up in Quantico training, and uh, because of just like the way force were being shifted around and stuff, we didn't have a whole lot of like you know role players or, or training money to do this training thing. So everybody was going overseas and you know whatever. So uh, we actually did a little mission where we went and we uh, took a, a sniper shot at our platoon sergeant who was dressed up as you know Osama bin Gunny or some nonsense, right? Right. You know, that we knew, but uh, you know, he was dressed up as a bad guy, and you know, we shot him with a blank, and he fell down, and he had the you know, the the thing we needed to get. So we go over and we get the uh, the item. It's like a you know briefcase, or one of the things was a mortar tube, which is important because this round is about this big. Okay. So we we pick this up off him. He's obviously not really dead because we you know shot him with a blank, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I brought you guys a little something because I don't know it's the holiday, it's Halloween or something." So we take the stuff, we get back to our little hide site in the leaves, and uh, we open up the mortar tube thing, and there's like, you know, honey buns and some other nonsense. All stuff that's like really good because you've been in the woods for like five days and, you know, eating like peanut butter every little packet, and you're like, oh, right. this is fantastic. Right. So we're like chowing down on the little sugary things, and one of the guys looks in the bottle or looks in the, uh, the mortar tube, and the last thing in there is a Dr. Pepper bottle. That sounds absolutely fantastic. So it's kind of stuck, and he reaches up, and he pulls it, and he kind of gets a hold of it and rips it out. What it actually is is the top of a Dr. Pepper bottle. Somebody's taking a Sharpie and Sharpied in black so that it looks like a soda. Okay. Attached to a CS grenade. Oh, my God. Right. Which falls in the middle of us, uh, sets, like, my ghillie suit on fire. I mean, just. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> That's wild. Completely unprepared for it. But yeah, yeah. Tear gas grenade right in the middle. Yeah. And that was a lesson. It was a lesson. Even somebody is supposed to be your friend, uh, you know, somebody that's supposed to be looking after you. You have to treat everything like a booby trap. Like that's right. how your brain has to work. Holy smokes! We filled that, that one big time. <laughs> wow. Hey, I'm going to take a question from um, from the chat. Uh, Phil Henry, who is actually um, lives in Germany, so he's tuning in uh, right now. Okay. And uh, and Phil Phil is saying uh, his take on situational awareness uh, and. It, that human brains are limited to eight or 10 stimuli at a time. Um, so is, is that, you know, from your training too? And, and do you see that, I, I guess, is, is that it, you know, that we can focus on about eight or 10 things at a time and then the rest kind of just pours over the top? There, there's, there's, it's, it's actually not. There's, there's two things about that that are, that are weird. We can get into this later on also with uh, so like the, the risk ability, uh, that kind of thing too. You know, part of it is always going to be like people from my community are selected for certain traits. And part of that might be the fact that, you know, we deal better with chaos or in this case we might have, it's actually been tested and shown a lot of like special operations guys have what we call a processor speed. That's really, really, really high. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. basically on par with like NFL quarterbacks and stuff, as far as like ability to process stimuli when you're talking about things. Like podcast around. host. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So I mean, there's like three, 300 things a minute. 300 things a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, I, I get it. Yeah. But I mean, let's say for that, like elite level, you know, quarterback uh, playing against other elite level players that are running at him and, you know, there's stuff happening and he's got receivers downfield and uh, he's got to get the ball where he needs to go. He's got to have a very fast processor speed. And he's also got to be able to predict what's going to happen to some degree. He can't react when it does happen. He's got to see what's going to right. happen. Right. So there's, there's some of, of that. It's just going to go, he's right naturally back to processor speed. I'm going to tell you, though, absolutely, from training other people, you can learn this stuff. I mean, you absolutely can. 
uh, you can get better at your situational awareness. I mean, all, all of us are, I guess, limited to some degree by our own internal talents, but you can get better at it. You can get a whole lot better as you are right now. Okay. Well, um, one, something I wrote about in school of airs and, and that I studied was, um, the, the game Kim's game, right? So Kim's game was, was, um, has been around for over 120 years. They're Baden Powell's book, scouting games. And, and for just, you know, people wondering Kim's game is basically, you know, we take 10 items, random items, we put them on a table, you look at them for a minute and then, you know, you, you cover them up and then you, you ask, Hey, what, what was there? Okay. Here's a pen. Here's a paper clip. Here was a bottle. Here's it, it. And the more you do that, right. You can, you can identify more items. And I think I, I read somewhere, I, I probably cited this too, like for, for some snipers, they could do 200 items. Like they could remember 200 items. And not only like here was a pencil, here's where it was pointed. Um, and, and people ask like, how many things are made out of wood? Here's six things that were made out of wood. What, what, what were things that you could dig with? What were things that conduct electricity? So, um, and that's free, right? This, this survey and call, it's like online, you can download it. And I, that's when I would work with schools and say like, you know, situational awareness, having kids detect these little things that are off in their environment. But what are some ways um, that, you know, people can learn situational awareness like every day? Well, it's funny you bring up Kim's games. I mean, that was one that we were big on in the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, you could actually fail out of school for not being able to do a Kim's game. And some guys did. Like if you couldn't get a certain percentage of, uh, of goes on your little Kim's games that we played every day, you got bounced. And that was, you know, that was it. And uh, it is. Uh, I've also seen some guys, you see this primarily from like recce troops or snipers that have, like you said, an incredible memory for that. Like I was okay at it, but I've met some dudes that are like, you know, those little bar games where you have to remember where the object is or whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, they'd just be like slaying it all night long because they had developed that that piece of memory to a, you know, like an X-Man level. Uh, so yeah, pretty nuts. But as far as like learning your own situational awareness, like I said, a lot of it is just learning how to look. And, you know, part of that should be, you know, when was the last time you spotted a dude, I don't know, carrying a gun? I'm talking, talking lawful CCW carrier at the mall or something. When was the last time you walked around and was like, that guy's armed, that guy's not, that guy is, that guy isn't. Uh, when was the last time you spotted an undercover cop? They're, they're around all the time, uh, especially, you know, public venue, going to concerts, things like that. Can you spot the cop? They always stick out if you know what to look for, but... This is kind of how I think you start to open your brain up about, you know, maybe I don't need to know this right now, but I definitely might need to know this in the future. Like start looking for those little details. So do you write about that in, in your, in your books or in concrete jungle or any, any of your uh, blog posts of, of here's, here's what to look for. And, and, and I want to make sure I, I'll come back. I had Larry, well, I'll do it right. I had Larry Lawton on the show uh, a few weeks ago. Larry Lawton was the biggest jewel thief in America. And nice. I, asked, I asked Larry, who spent time in the uh, federal pen in Atlanta, where he said, like, every day someone was being murdered, right? It yeah. was it was super violent. So he said, you know, Dave, if you'd look at everybody's feet every morning, and if somebody wasn't wearing their sandals, if they had shoes on or boots or anything, you knew something was going down. You always looked at what people had on their right. their feet. And fighting um, real shoes. Absolutely. So, and, and where people were positioned, um, if, if suddenly people are walking and they're very close to the wall, something's going down because then they're going up against the wall. So, you know, he's, he's, he's just like, everything was, was so, you know, he had to be so vigilant because, um, things developed and literally like people just got stabbed and, and killed. Um, 
So what what are some things either you you know you've written about or you can share like a few things people listening and say like here are two things like you you can look for this will help you identify yeah if you know somebody wearing clothes that are totally inappropriate for the situation you know um, or if they're looking uh, somewhere it, I I guess what are what are some things you'll tell people and then like they'll take this and they'll be out in their environment tomorrow doing something they'll be like that's what. That's what Clay was talking about. <laughs> Damn it, Clay. It, it's actually pretty wild because I mean, there's an entire study of this called uh, a precursor fight cues. Uh, and I mean, you could write a volume this thick on, uh, on what they look like. And some you know, really smart dudes, some, uh, some shrinks that are kind of tied in the military piece or the police piece have, have tackled this. Uh, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and steer that around to one of the ways I learned how to teach it. Cause I actually used to teach a course that we called a uh, steak knife and a Makarov. So it was kind of invented whole cloth and it was for guys that are like kind of low vis operators. going to be working in a, a kind of weird, not really war, but not, not a war kind of place with like, you know, a concealed carry gun and a knife. Well, part, a big piece of that was like, I teach me how to shoot and teach me how to stab me in the neck, but that's not really that important. Like learning that the bad things are about to happen to you is a whole lot more important. So, you know, kind of the way that we would go with this is uh, it was very time intensive. It took a whole lot of, uh, of instructor to student ratio to, to do it. But uh, I would put these guys in like terrible situations. And uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what they are because they still teach this course today as far as I know. Yeah. But, you know, basically lead them down hallways and then like things would pop out that they were in no way prepared for. Uh, usually culminating in like lots of physical violence because, you know, I taught in the kind of course where if I put one guy in the hospital per course, I was going to be a-okay. It wasn't going to be like a negative point of my NCOER. Okay. So I had to play at this like hyper violent level, but to be able to teach people to survive situations like you're talking about, uh, you know, the dude in the, in the federal pin, uh, one of the best compliments I've ever been paid was about the third day of that course when the new captains came up to me and he was like, Clay, you have made me extremely paranoid. It's like, I can't even go to the Seven Eleven anymore without, yeah. a, and that's I'm like, good man. That's, that's what we're trying to live. That's the kind of space we're trying to live in. So, Oh my God. So he's like, yeah. Imagine how, how, how the bathroom thing work out for that guy. It, it, what wasn't it like, um, it, it was an episode of mash where, uh, yeah, Henry went to the bathroom and it blew up because someone had had uh, rigged it with uh, explosive oil or whatever. I know it's kind of it's kind of a weird side. Uh, so, so, so you're actively teaching this, yeah. So obviously, you know, we don't want to we don't want to get too much into the the inside, um, you know, components of this. Uh, you know, last year, so it's July 31st last year, I was up in Duluth, um, Minnesota, and took my family to a Duluth Huskies baseball game. And I remember at that game, um, actively teaching um, kind of situational awareness, predictive situational awareness to my daughters of saying, you know, we're, we're all watching baseball. What do you think is going to happen next? Look at the lead off uh, of first base. Look where the shortstop is playing. Look where the outfield is playing. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, like that was such a great everyday activity to teach situational awareness and prediction. Otherwise, you're just there watching a baseball game. Right. right? And you're you don't see. Yeah, you don't see these nuances of what's happening with where the players are positioning themselves, and okay, like you know, where do where do you think the, the ball is going to be hit? Look at where the the shift has happened and stuff like that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know move us through a, a great set of questions here that that match um, you know what what you've put together um, in Concrete Jungle, and I, I want to make sure that we, you know, we harvest from that um, re reliable information. How do you get reliable? information how do you know that what you're being told or what you're finding because 
you know, anyone who says, well, I heard this today on the news. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, uh, that's great. That's great. But, you know, there's a difference between information and intelligence. So tell me for you what that difference is. How does information then become intelligence? Well, the, the biggest thing is it, it's, it's a lot like the situational awareness, actually. It's like it's not something you're going to learn overnight. This is something you have to start small and you have to, like, start seeing how it works. And for the information game, it works the same way. Like, the best way to learn that you're getting good information is to start with, with something, start in a time and place where it doesn't really matter. You know, you could start, you know, asking your kids questions about what happened at school. And if you're, you know, real gangster, you could follow up your spotting skill. Well, maybe not a spotting skill, but when they get mad about things like that, follow up and uh, and see if what they told you is true. Uh, but you just kind of have to, people are, information is never 100% reliable. And you always have to question the motives uh, of where you're getting your information for. This is something we do go into in detail in the book. And that could be somebody actually trying to deceive you. Somebody's trying to make their status better. You know, there's a whole mess of problems to go along with intelligence. Uh, but the biggest thing I think is that you just have to, you have to get out there and practice it. It's, uh, it's like anything else in life that involves interaction with other human beings. You're going to get better at it through practice. Uh, I had a friend actually, his favorite thing to do when we were you know, young, broke, like corporals, he would go down every week into a car dealership. And he would try to buy a new car. Okay. He would, I mean, negotiate for hours. He'd spend like four or five hours doing this. And when they finally got to the point where either he got his number or they were just like absolutely not going to deal with it anymore, he would just get up and walk out. I mean, this was, yep. a, this was fun for him. He had no intentions of buying a vehicle. Right. <laughs> he wanted to learn how to do this. And that actually later in life made him a fantastic interrogator as well because he'd been dealing with professional interrogators kind of. Oh, car. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's a lot to be said for just use your own brain and, and figure out a way in your life without, you know, spending a bazillion hours doing it, that you can you can learn how to, to harvest information as well as, as back back check it. Uh, just like you were doing with the baseball game, teaching your kids about predictive learning. Yeah, every day, all day long should be a learning environment. Uh, I've actually had shrinks tell me that it's unhealthy, but you know, I've lived this long, so. Right. <laughs> Well, Clay, let me let me talk about a member check. So, um, okay. you know, you, you wrote about this as building a network of allies. It, so it's it's um, identical to what I describe as a member check um, in in my book, and actually in the book that I'm writing right now, the Velocity of Information member checking. Um, and actually, member checking is something I didn't learn about. I didn't do until maybe I was forty. Like you know, so a lot of this stuff. Now, nobody ever taught me how to member check <laughs> when I was younger. Maybe you know, we just kind of did some of this stuff. But so a member check basically is um, that you have people you can go to and you can say, what are you observing right now where you are at? Um, I had Joe uh, Dolio on the show um, last month. And uh, Joe is uh, a martial arts uh, ex expert, also um, retired out of the military uh, in the Detroit area. And Joe has a network and and with his network, for example, they had an app. Was, I think it's called Isolator, but it was an app and they could take pictures of things and it would timestamp it, give the coordinates of it, and then they would describe what they see. Like if it's outside a hospital, if it's at a protest, something like that. Um, but what what I did at the start of at the start of coronavirus, the cascade event. So like um middle of March, right? Yep. So I I reached out to my network of maybe like a dozen people all across the world. One was the head of an IT uh, for a major medical 
uh, center. So I knew like he'd be able to see things from the inside. Another one, you know, retailer, other ones, uh, Canada, Germany, stuff like this. And and the, the thing was, we had to figure out, okay, how do we get the, how do we have reliable information? So go out and we're going to check um, what you see at stores, like grocery stores, what you see at hospitals. And then you you have to describe it back. You have to timestamp it. And then we will just take it and um, do the same thing, you know, like a few days later. And then we'll we'll try to watch for patterns. Um, and it was it was it was really cool to do this because I I knew I was getting valid information from these folks. Um, and and then of course it's not what you're hearing on the news, right? You're hearing right. like everything's overrun or whatever's happening. Um, and so I'm getting this authentic information uh, from these folks. So I, I, I can really, you know, use that to make decisions. But also, like Joe had mentioned, like in his member check network, he had one member who wasn't giving authentic information, was was kind of embellishing. And I think there's this tendency for people to get sucked into that. There's there's a psychological term. Uh, I, I don't know it right now, but it's basically, you know, you, you believe that the event is happening to you, even though it's happening a thousand miles away. You just start to lose it. And, and this happens to people who are... Um, you know, so War of the Worlds, um, when Orson Welles did War of the Worlds it, in 38, it was talking about the Martians were attacking and stuff like that. The next day, um, you know, a university professor, I think it was Stanford, but university professor went out with uh, with grad students and they interviewed people and they said, you know, hey, what happened last night? And a number of people said, my God, there was this alien, you know, attack that happened. And some people were saying, you know, the, this this device like that they were in, it went right through this field. I can show you where the markings are. And, wow. you know, and, and so it was crazy because this obviously never happened. Right. So you, you have to build a network of people who are going to give you authentic, valid information. Um, you write about it in your book. Tell me, um, tell me how you do that. Well, it's actually very interesting that you bring up those biases uh, as well, uh, and that's something that I actually said to you in our emails before uh, before we did this show. Was I didn't even want to look, I didn't even want to go in and like read about your book and stuff because I don't want to present my biases to this. So I've actually been on the backside of another kind of weird uh, high level selection thing where I was doing the selecting, and we had a bunch of shrinks there, and uh, you know, part of their deal was always whatever shrink stuff they were doing, but they also had, they gave us classes and we went through it every time. And it was a little like checklist of all the like biases that you can have about an event. Um, you know, am I, am I, am I forcing this on them because I would react differently or I know this, or I think I'm smarter than this dude or, you know, whatever. And uh, it's interesting you bring that one up with the or the uh, war of the worlds things. We also see that a lot in uh, witnesses describing an event, uh, you know, where, they saw a bank robbery happen or something. Right. And, you know, all of a sudden it was two dudes, not four or four instead. Of, and it's just, it's all messed up. Like, you know, they'd be reporting a, a red Corvette instead of a, you know, a white, you know, semi truck. Right. So right. It's crazy. And uh, I, I think that people's brains actually believe that stuff. Though. I mean, I don't think they're trying to be bad. Dudes no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that goes back to like, you know, stress and the, the normal human being is not wired to deal with a lot of these things. Uh, one of the things that, that we saw a huge, this is actually kind of go off on a tangent, but I can bring up a story here. One of the biggest things that I saw when I was teaching like close quarter battle, so a lot of stuff going on, like flashbangs and, you know, people shooting all around and, you know, weird stuff. And uh, people would start looking at the floor. That's how we tell them when somebody was like, their brain had reached shutdown point. They would look down. Okay. And you'd have to go and like pick your head up and be like, what are you doing? And it took a long time to kind of figure this out. We didn't have any help on this one. But, uh, you know, I really believe that like people get overwhelmed in the processor and a lot of people will have to look at a blank thing and just kind of blank their brain out. And uh, gotcha. I think for a lot of like the imagination or the uh, 
the embellishment starts to come from. Uh, I think that in that time where they're not paying attention, their brain's actually making up things that are either worse or not happening at all. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, but this is something that like real intelligence agencies deal with too. Like I said, it may not even be uh, malicious acts. It could just be that somebody doesn't, they're just, they're just that way. Like they're just, their personality is just that they, they have to add to the story. It has to be bigger and better and cooler. Or, uh, you know, we took out 50 tanks yesterday, not, you know, shot one guy with a RPG, you know, it has to be. So you just kind of got to watch out for that. And I mean, so how do you, so tell me, how do you, how do you, um, how do you interface with people who do that? And let's say they're, they're family members, you know, let's, let's say that you have a family member and they, they get a hold of you and they say, Clay, listen, uh, the, in Idaho, the uh, the county lines are being shut down. They're not letting anybody go back and forth. They, they're checking. And basically, what they're doing is replaying like the movie, what from the, the right, uh, you know, the Will Smith movie, where they're trying to get off right. across lines. So anyway, though, they're they're telling you this, and, and they're actually saying, no, this this is this is, this happening. is happening, and you know it's not right. But right. how do you, how do you interface with that person because it's also a relationship you have to maintain. Um, you know, you can't say no. You're you're lying obviously because they believe it like they're they're so caught up in this i guess how do you help people recalibrate is is what i'm saying in a safe way people who look to you and and because i i struggled i i struggled with that i had a i had a, a relative who did say that exact thing to me said the state lines were being shut down um was saying that someone was was that they believed to be a, you know authentic information was you know there was seeing this none of it was happening but um, I, I had to just back away from it and say, I have right. different information than you do on right. this. I don't believe that that is accurate, but you know, the other thing is if I would have said, that's a lie, you know, that you're lying, this, this is stupid. Don't say that. Right. You know, then you're destroying, you know, this, this, mm -hmm. this relationship, this person. Um, so it gets really, it, or they get really defensive and then they start ranking up. But, um, how did, how would you handle that if someone was that you knew, Right. was giving you this and it wasn't intentional, right? right? But they had been caught up in this. How do you help that, settle them down? That's a really tough one to deal with. Uh, you know, first of all, if it's like a real crisis, like you have to stop taking that call. Cause like you just can't deal with that right then. And, and also it doesn't help you to have information that you know to be false in a crisis type situation, because even if you know it's wrong, your brain's going to start using it a little bit, even if like right now, well, you know, there is no crisis. We could be like, haha, that dude's an idiot. And I'm just going to ignore everything he says. If you listen to it while a crisis is unfolding, especially you're tired, you're stressed out. You may start to subconsciously add that to your calculus, which is definitely not good. Um, and in a situation like this, where you have to maintain the relationship, that's really tough. In my experience, there's no way to turn somebody like that back. Uh, once they're that kind of person, uh, it's just, it is what it is in, in, a, in a real intelligence role, we would do one or two things. We'd either, you know, cut them off and just never talk to them again, or we would keep them around for kind of like deception operations. Uh, I mean, okay. So you get the report, but then we would, you know, lose that report to the bank, you know, whatever. Uh, but that's basically the only two ways that you can deal with it. Uh, th there's almost no way to turn somebody back or to get decent information from somebody that uh, that is kind of wired that way it just can't be done as far as i know and i I'm, I'm glad that you said that um because i i think there is a point when you have to to yeah disconnect from that and the example joe adolio gave was you know he said you know with the person who was giving information which uh, wasn't accurate 
he continued to allow them to participate in the network, yeah. but he was no longer processing their information necessarily as intelligence. Right. Um, so I, I thought that was really, really a, a neat, uh, a neat way to, to do that. Um, so how about, how about sources of information? Did you build a member check of people? Yeah. You, you wrote about your neighborhood, you know, touching base with people in your neighborhood, but how about, um, you know, uh, March 15th, um, NCAA shutting down, uh, NBA a couple of days later, Disney. Are you talking to your friends, uh, oh, yeah. for, former, you know, colleagues, workers, <laughs> specialists all across the country uh, world and saying, what are you observing right now? Um, outside your front door. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah. So this is kind of funny. I mean, I did write that about your, your neighborhood and all the neighborhoods that I've ever lived in because I've, I've bought and sold like four or five houses uh, just in the last five or six years. Uh, my wife is always like, what are you doing? She's a very like kind of internal kind of person. I'm always, I always meet the neighbors like every time. Like I don't care how crazy they are. I don't care if there's like, you know, 15 junk cars in the front yard. Like I always meet the neighbors and I always know what's going on and everybody knows my name and I know theirs. Uh, because it's just kind of it's like an it's like a natural thing for us. Like you can't you almost can't not do it. Uh, and it's almost like we say in the business, like, you know, you're a good friend when you don't collect on your friends. Like you'll intentionally turn your back when your buddy's putting his pin number in because, you know, that, right. you, you know, anyway. So, yeah. So that's kind of building your local network. But, you know, with that, too, you don't spend as long as like I did in the military without building a huge like worldwide network. Uh, just again, maintaining relationships is kind of what we do. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm going to say that I was ready for COVID well before March 19th. It was weird. Like I got probably the last box of, of 25 masks off the shelf okay. at a hardware store. Yeah. And, uh, you know, basically we, we wanted for nothing, but yeah, I was doing the same thing. Like, you know, I called up my friend and he happened to have uh, family that lived in Italy. And, uh, this is when they were kind of like when Italy was like just start. And he's like, his family's like, no, people are like dropping like flies. Like it's terrible over here. Like this is super bad. And you guys need to get ready. So yeah, I mean, that was a huge advantage to be able to, to talk through, you know, maybe one or two proxies all over the place and see what was really happening. So I guess what were, um, so you said you, you went and you, and you know, you got mask and what were some other things, uh, I, I guess, early on and who you picked to be a part of your member network. And it, I, I guess if anybody, watching this anybody listening how many people can you manage in a network can you should you centralize like a google doc of of how you're getting intel is that like do you assign somebody to to okay you're, you're going to track this do you put a value over hey go and take a photo and timestamp it so then we can compare something else how do you how do you if you if you're doing a mini course yeah. right now you're, do, you're doing the, the the pitch for a master class on here's how to build a member check network i will teach you um <laughs> tell, tell me tell me some things that would would go into that uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, here's another thing. You know, different people have different ability to manage relationships. Uh, you know, some people or some of the you know, shrinks and stuff said, like, most human beings can't really be friends with more than, like, I don't know, I think it's like 100 people at once. Well, that's kind of true and it's kind of not true. Uh, some people are just going to have a natural ability to do a whole lot more than that. Some people are going to have an ability to do less. So the way I would want to build it is, as I guess, kind of in retrospect, how I did build it, it's, it's kind of like a phone tree. Uh, a phone tree starts like up here, we've got like one dude and he calls these two dudes and these two dudes call these two dudes. So kind of like a pyramid scheme in reverse. 
you can do the same thing for an information network. Uh, you know, your primary one should should be the one right around you. Uh, most people have lived in the same place for a very long time. They have very old relationships. Uh, you know, even if they went and built a, a team today out of the, the dudes in their neighborhood, if if you're in your hometown, I don't know, are you, are you actually from where you're living right now? No. No, me neither. I'm not. I'm a thousand miles away and then some. Uh, so it's a little bit harder for me to do here. But most people don't. Most people live and die and born in the same place. So, you know, if you haven't talked to them in 10 years, if you can call up the high school principal for I don't know, backwater Georgia and say, hey, are you guys really getting, you know, like shipments of body bags or you know, FEMA or whatever, whichever one that we want to go with. Uh, but outside of your own little neighborhood here, you know, you always need at least one or two guys that are over here and they have their own little networks. And then over here, they have their own little networks. Right. And kind of by doing that, like you said, with like Google Docs or uh, or just kind of becoming like a clearinghouse for information, uh, you, you can you can learn a lot. Now, there is also such a thing as information overload. Uh, you know, you start getting pictures, you know, 400 pictures a day from all over the country. Right. Probably not gonna be able to process that. So you know, keep it manageable. But uh, but you know, yeah. As long as you've got a couple of people in different places that are reliable, you can get a, a pretty good picture of the big picture. So would you say you know you you keep together and you you appoint somebody say you know you're going to be you're going to be the data person. This is where everything gets sent in, or it's like this Google document. Enter your stuff at a certain you know point in time, and you know by by yeah. Eight, 10 o'clock every night, we want updates in the Google Doc or something like that. And um, wow, that is so, yeah. Um, tell me, I guess, tell me one thing that you found out that either surprised you when you talked to one of your member checks or something, you know, that you expected to be happening based upon what was coming out of CNN, Drudge Report, local news, and you call them up and they're like, yeah, man, that's not happening right here. Okay. Uh, before it started really getting reported in the news, I mean, we're talking like kind of early when New York was like really blowing up and it looked like, you know, I was still thinking like, this is, this is it. This is the hundred year flu. Like we're going to lose like 20% of the population of the earth. Right. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I came into this planning. Uh, so buddy uh, in a different network uh, lives in New York city. And uh, he was like, uh, look, dude, like not only do I live here, I have friends that are nurses and, and doctors and whatever, cause he's in the medical community. Uh, he's like, they are not overrun in their hospitals here. Their ERs are not, you know, flooded. There's nobody at the overflow hospitals. Like nothing really that bad is happening here. Like it's, it's, it's no big deal. And I was like, I was shocked. I mean, absolutely shocked. Yeah. I was, I was shocked the day, um, you know, one of my, my friends in New York, uh, who was a member check contacted me and said, Hey, the USS comfort just left today. I'm like, mm -hmm. Really? Like I thought the thing would be there like a year. Right. Like, no, right. it's done. It's gone. It it, it left. Um, and uh, a, a a member check who has been on on the show and has talked about this, uh, Charles Mack, who's IT with University of Pittsburgh Medical, was sharing the scaling up of uh, the medical facility, University of of Pitt, and basically that they had to have more internet access, more access to do remote. Um, yeah, you know, medical for people who might be home and stuff. Mm -hmm. But he was also saying, while that was scaling up, actually, uh, the number of people coming into the facility hadn't changed. That baseline was was stable. Um, so that was very interesting information because here, obviously, we have someone who uh, he he was given. It was early on. Remember, we're hearing about these. You have to have essential papers because if you get stopped on the roads and he had those, like he sent me a, a picture yeah. he had taken. Well, now 
you know, he, that stuff can all be shared. But at that time, it was a little more quiet, right. a little more covert. But he said, yeah, I was issued these and, um, you know, expect to be stopped in, in the city when you're going around. And um, so then when I heard that, I was like, holy smokes. But again, member checking in with him, with other people, a couple other people that had these papers, some that didn't. But then it just seemed like that that went away, right? So right. Um, that didn't escalate. But um, but yeah, it is it is something to have a member check network. People they they get isolated. This is a big gift of today, like with oh, yeah. the internet, with uh, telecommunications, with people being able to take phones, GPS things. Um, I, I talked um, uh, with. Uh, a, man from uh, who lived in the Soviet Union, who was a bicyclist in the Soviet Union in 86 during Chernobyl. We were talking yesterday and, you know, you say, you know, but of course, back then to try to figure out what was going on was very difficult. You had to listen to the radio stations that you could get from Germany that weren't blocked, you know, right. like the, or BBC type of stuff just to, to try to get a, a different take. But um, so, yeah, this, this is really cool. Like you're building your member, your member network, you're taking that information. Um, but how about, um, how about signs of, of chaos, and, and what I'm talking about is, um, let's say, like right now the uh, the cruise lines have said, okay, we're not going to do cruises until like the end of September. Um, you know, more things are being delayed. Like, yeah, schools are saying we're not going to be starting in person classes. What are what are things like signs that you're getting that are saying, oh, this is this is going to linger. This there's more steps to come, more phases. I guess what's what's coming out right now that's crossing and you're like ah this is this is good or this is bad you know what are we in for it's actually funny that you bring that up because uh while i rapidly finished the book this year i wrote the book last year when i lived in oregon oh my god i started writing it in uh, july of last year Uh, we moved over to oregon for about six months and then i couldn't stand it anymore so we had to leave but uh but while i was there that was when the light bulb really kicked on for me i was like and we weren't even in Portland. We were a couple hours from Portland. But just seeing what was going on, I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. Like, this is going to go pear-shaped at some point. And I thought it might be right. further down the line, but I was like, this is definitely happening. And that was actually when the majority of the book was written. Uh, and then it was just fortuitous that a friend of mine still had a, a copy I had sent him in his email, in like his sent box, to, uh, otherwise it would have been lost forever. Oh, my God. Right. It's crazy, right? So he sent it back to me, wrote a hasty uh, couple of chapters on the end and, and put it out. But uh, yeah, and people have asked me, like, you know, did you have a crystal ball? Like, or did you write this like while this COVID was going? Like, no, man, this was like written at least a year out uh, because, you know, I kind of saw the signs of, you know, and especially a lot of these like blue states were not enforcing the law anymore. Uh, they're dropping charges against all these people who are like hitting people yep. with blocks, all this stuff. And we're kind of gradually building towards a more lawless society. And uh, yeah, it's really taken off this year. Uh, so are you asking me for my crystal ball for the future? Because they don't yep. look good. Oh, man. I, I think that we are about six, eight months. Economic theory is not my, not my strongest suit. But I would say we're about six to eight months out from what I think is going to be hyperinflation, perhaps a complete economic collapse. I mean, that's a... That's a bold statement to make, but I, I think our economy is going to crumble. Uh, I also think that all this stuff that's going on right now with the riots and, and whatnot, I think this is actually a dry run. I think this is going to get a lot worse in November, either uh, right. maybe ramp up of a couple of weeks before the election so that we had to mail in ballots uh, or like the couple of days before the election just create chaos. And if uh, if Trump wins again, then ooh, oh, look out. 
Yeah, I, I can't I can't imagine that the day following the election is is going to be anything less than protests, uh, looting, riots, uh, people not showing up uh, for, you know, for, for work, just massive. Um, I, I, I think beyond anything that we've seen. Um, oh, and I, 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 want, I want to touch. So in the uh, in the chat room, uh, Bacon Maldito uh, from the Seattle area and Bacon um um, Bacon has an interesting perspective also because uh, he he does uh, food uh, delivery, right? So Bacon oh, wow. had access inside of the Chaz when it initially developed and as it, as it was there. Like he could have, he, he was coming in, he was allowed access in and out of, of Chaz. So he was able to obtain um, information, I guess, intelligence, get some pictures back um, and say what was authentically happening. Bacon is also um, like a martial um, artist uh, and it has high situational awareness, but he, he just shared, just shared. He said, we found out we're shutting down damn near everything up here from a customer uh, the day before who worked in the same industry an hour before the official news broke, caught me officially off guard. So again, you know, he's getting this from his customer base of, you know, things shutting down in Seattle. Right. People saying, saying what's going on. Um, Sir, Sir Brian Bowden in, is saying, yeah, uh, don't forget civil war. Uh, part part two. Brian Bowden is from New York City, so Brian oh. was was um, the person who was making me aware of the USS Comfort. Oh, nice. And, it, nice. and as a member check, Brian would go out. He lives in the Bronx with his yeah. family. He'd go out and he'd do these short little videos, um, and, and you and he'd say, "Okay, what I noticed today is people are definitely keeping a six feet away. They're they're staying on the other side of the block if you go down the road. And here's the things that are in the stores. Here's not. And, and one." Uh, during uh, one of the member checks, maybe end of March, early April, uh, there were some some dudes out with leaf blowers, like cleaning up something. And he said that was really key, right? Because the police weren't coming down and saying, hey, everybody inside, you can't do this. This is frivolous. You know, wow. this isn't essential yeah. work. You could still do that. So it was kind of this turning point. But then again, you know, like what you're saying, um, you know, we, we have we have protest which are unchecked. I live outside of Madison, Wisconsin, an hour away. I was listening to the, the live police scanners at night at friends in Madison. Well, there were different nights of protest rioting in Madison, looting, you know, um, 80 plus businesses. And, you know, it was, it was, um, it was completely overwhelming to, to law enforcement because they were getting stand down orders. Don't, don't, you know, don't right. engage, don't engage. And, uh, so I walked down uh, State Street where there's really vibrance between our state capital, University of Madison's main, main building. Um, and these places are all boarded up. They've all been looted. And I was talking to somebody and they're like, well, I wonder when they're going to you know, put put the glass back. And I said, that's not happening until easily after the election. I don't know if it happens again. Who's going to take the risk of putting glass back in when they know the police aren't going to enforce? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and they have everything ripped off. And I said, who's going to be the first person it takes down the artwork, which was put up, right? Because right. they came down and painted all these murals and stuff to, to, to try to put a, a different image on it. I'm like, the first person that does that, unless that goes into a museum or something, their, their place will be destroyed. I mean, it'll be... Right. Uh, so it's this, this whole thing of really these, these nuanced things. They said that, that area is probably dead, at least for a year. Like, I wouldn't go down there unless it was absolutely during a day. I didn't park anywhere down there. You know, I know the area really well because I went to school, you know, down there. Um, but, oh, my God, just just crazy. So tell me, um, you know, what from tell me about how concrete jungle um, is going to help anybody who picks it up and reads it. Tell me because I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Um, and 
I'll tell you what I found from it. What I found from it, Clay, is you're, you're telling is, I mean, things like, you know, the, the benefit of elevated position, talking with your neighbors, difference between like a stabbing motion and, and a cutting motion, just this whole time. I mean, all of these things, which are just practical. I'm not going to have to go out, spend a lot of money, have to learn all these things. This, this All of this stuff of, and the, and the fact is too, is like, right, a protest can develop anywhere and it can move into yeah. our setting. I, I would say as a school safety person, um, I, I remember once um, I was I was working with a district and I said, you, know, you got to be prepared in case you have to go to lockdown because, you know, criminal comes out here, whatever. Ah, it's not going to happen. And and literally like a, a week later, it happened where there was a, a, a somebody a domestic dispute. Somebody got in their vehicle and they had guns and they were driving through the community and they pulled up in front of the school, like on the lawn of the school. Oh. <laughs> and, and I'm like, yes, these things are mobile. Like they can come to you. So concrete jungle, tell us, tell us about it. Um, why people should get it, what, what it's going to bring to them. Well, the, uh, the, the big thing there is, uh, is like you said, you know, you don't have time to learn the all, everything that I learned as a professional soldier. Like you're, I mean, you know, neither is anybody else, unless you're going to go be a, a, a career soldier for the next two decades. Uh, but you do have to get your things in order. Uh, and like I, you know, I think we, we said at the beginning of this program, you know, six months ago, some of this stuff would have looked crazy. Like people would be like, oh, it's some tinfoil hat. You know, I don't, I don't want to be involved. Like I would never need to defend my neighborhood from a roving band of, you know, savage protesters that are burning everything down. The cops are standing down. Like, I mean, do you, do you really remember how crazy that would have sounded in January of this year? Absolutely. It, right. Yeah. I mean, but it is absolutely happy. Things that, that I didn't predict as being able to happen for many years down the road happened this month. It's nuts. So, I mean, you do have to get it in order. And, you know, overall, I think that the biggest theme of the book is like, you can't do it alone. Uh, you know, look, you know, I, I've got a resume this deep on, on shooting people. I can't do it alone either. There are, there are finite limits to what one man can do in any kind of tactical situation. Like all the movie Rambo stuff is all garbage. It's not true. You know, yeah, if you had an awesome, you know, commando resume, you might do a little better, but you're still not going to be okay. You have to have friends. You have to have people to watch your back. Right. Uh, and being able to, uh, you know, especially as we think this is going to get worse towards November, even just get a couple of people and organize. And this goes back to like organizing about strengths too. Uh, you were talking a little bit ago about, you know, do you have one guy that processes all this stuff? Yeah, man. If you got a dude that's especially like a, a data nerd. I mean, those guys love that kind of stuff. Right. If you were fortunate enough to get one of those guys, awesome. Yeah, that should absolutely be his job. And, you know, a lot of times dudes like they have a, like a big time eye for detail too. They'll notice that there are inconsistencies in the information being reported uh, or, if, you know, timestamps are off or, if, you know, this goes back to like the, the autism of 4chan. Like those guys are scary like, with the stuff that they can do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just you know, look at the position of the sun in the sky. Like, okay, this guy changed all the time settings on his phone. This didn't happen. <laughs> Holy yeah, no, I love it. This is yeah, yeah keep going, it. man. But you know, you say you got that dude, and then you you know you probably need some muscle. Uh, find one of those dudes. Uh, find a guy that's you know just loves guns, like just into guns. Like, oh, guns are my thing. I have a million. Like, awesome. You're the gun guy. Teach us all how to shoot. Fantastic. You know, you you can make a pretty good and pretty diverse team just uh, amongst like a few dudes. And uh, you know, the other thing that goes with that too is like the brain trust that comes along with that. I mean, it is so awesome to have another person be able to, but you can learn so much just common sense planning. So I'll make up a plan myself, like, oh, we're going to do this. And, it, you know, then I'll talk to my wife about it. She's like, that's really stupid. And here's the holes in your plan. I'm like, oh, 
Thank you for pointing that out so we didn't die. That's fantastic. Uh, the more brains you have involved, the more likely you are to actually spot the errors in your own plan. And I think, and I think right there, right there, what you said, you know, where your, your wife pointed that out, you know, that is somebody who is, who is a member check. A member check is someone who is going to be honest and they're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear. And, and, and as you said, you, those are people that you trust, you embrace them. And we're in a society too, where just a lot of people aren't used to that at all. They're, they're used to saying something that's going to please, you know, their boss or, or, you know, to stay out of um, a conflict situation. So it's yes. Get a member check and say, "Hey, if if what I'm if this doesn't make sense to you, tell me what doesn't make sense, and <laughs> let me process it, inform it. Maybe I'll change it, or maybe I won't. But yes, tell me that. And and that's that's a part um, when you have that network with other people, it, it it gets so real and so valuable. And actually, I think we had that maybe a hundred years ago with people, or hundred and twenty yeah. years ago. Um, there, there's this thing called the four vagabonds." Uh, Henry Ford, Edison, and whatever they go out and they would like just sit around a campfire for like two weeks and just bust each other's balls about stuff. I mean, because wow. they they could all do this, right? They could just say, "Hey, this is kind of crazy what you're doing," or whatever, and and they needed that. You can't do that so much. But so tell me, so so yeah, your wife is she runs past and she's like, "Hey, maybe here's something. I don't think this makes sense, Clay." So yeah, keep on. And that's actually something that's highly prized in the special operations community too. We call it uh, you know being able to speak truth to power. Uh, like. Yeah. They specifically want guys that will tell the commander like five levels up, like that's stupid and it won't work. Uh, and oftentimes that bluntly because you have to. You're in these you know compressed timelines and you you had to be able to say things like that tactfully, but to the point like no. Uh, so yeah, that's a huge deal. Uh, so the second thing or the other thing that goes along with that is uh, you know developing your own intelligence network. Like we we talked about a little bit for the uh, for the COVID stuff. Like there was a lot of bad information going around out there, and I'm sure that there is for the protests and all this other stuff too unless you have actual human beings that are, are seeing things that can tell you the truth, you'll be so far ahead of, of what you're going to get from the news. You know, uh, so there's that. There's, uh, you know, thinking about your defensive position and how likely you are to, to actually need it. Uh, this is one of the, I mean, we, me and my friends here in Boise started talking about this, like, back probably, like, late February when COVID was just starting to happen. So we thought perhaps, you know, violence about that, too. Okay, we don't live in the same neighborhood. Who's got the most defensible house? Uh, who's got the most access to, uh, you know, like clean river water? Uh, who's going to be, who's got the best sight lines? You know, that kind of thing. So, you know, thinking about what you're going to do if things do go bad. Uh, thinking about what you're going to pack, which is not going to be everything. I guarantee you that. What's actually important to throw in the car if you if you had to bail? Uh, you know, how can you defend your position? Yeah. Wow. So there, there's a concept. Um I think you had emailed me, uh, Rommel, um, you know, studied this in, um, in, in Germany in soldiers of rotating soldiers, uh, throughout the front. So they didn't fatigue. Right. So, they, so, they didn't, so, so three things, three things would happen for frontline soldiers in world war two. You would either be killed, um, you would be captured or you would have a mental collapse. And, and there was something called finite voltage. And this is actually pretty interesting, uh, clay, because this, uh, John, Dr. John Apple is a psychiatrist in the U.S. military during World War II. He embedded within uh, these, these frontline troops and, and was gathering this information. So kind of like what Rommel was doing um, with Germany to some extent. Now, <laughs> the interesting part is, so I've, I've written about this. I study this. I have the reports. I have them from um, Dr. Uh, Paul Rapp, head of military medicine a few years ago. And, and uh, one of my friends in Germany was saying, well, I was talking about finite voltage. He said, well, I can't find this on the web. I said, well, no, 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 it's out there. Just John Apple on the web. And I'm searching it. It's gone. So there's this other thing, too, of people think like 
during an emergency or crisis. Yeah, I'll just retrieve it from the web. Like it'll be out there. And you don't know, first of all, that that'll be out there. You don't know who, what the source is for the information. But right. I actually had the authentic study. So, but in boiling this down, though, they, they were they were measuring how long soldiers could um, last at the front and how they needed to rotate soldiers so they could could make sure that soldiers um, weren't either being captured, killed, or having a mental collapse. But there were also civilian studies, and they're they're lesser known. And the last one that I found from the U.S. was in 1994. Um, but the civilian study saying, how long can civilians function during a time of chaos? And it, it basically comes out to about 90 days before people start to have a mental collapse or, la or languishing or depressed or just give up. And so what was done? So again, these studies are before the internet. They're before social media. So we don't really have a lot of contemporary stuff. But um, you'd see this manifest in, we're going to do a scrap drive for metal, right? We're going to do a metal drive and this gives people something, you know, to look forward to. We're now in phase four of this operation with the military, even though it's no different than phase three, but they're telling people this. So now they think, oh, we're one step closer. And um, so what this, what this means though, is once you get to 90 or hundred days, which we are at right now, when you take the coronavirus plus civil unrest coupled to that of, of a time, um, by definition, you'd be in chaos out, out of self-similarity that we are in times that which are still cha you know chaotic. People don't handle that. They start to collapse. They start to have mental breakdowns. Um, again, I, you know, I, I know that um, search, searches, you can go on the internet, searches uh, are going up for, you know, sur survival, depression, things like this. And you'd, you'd, you wouldn't see that at the onset of a disaster. So if, if um, you know, if something happens, um, hurricane, something like that, people can hand, they handle that, right? They process through that. They know it's going to hit. Hurricane hits, it's done. This this lingers. Um, so when you have this lingering chaos, it goes 90, 200 days, people start to blink out. So what's your, what's your thought on that? And how, what role do you play as someone that people, you know, look up to as, okay, this person has valid information. They're strong. They have a plan. Um, how do you help people through that? Because I'm hearing that a lot right now, and I'm hearing that around the world. Um, of and actually, uh, you know, like Phil Henrik was saying, uh, he's in he's in the show uh, right now in Germany. That some people who he works with uh, at the university are just like they 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 are no longer processing this. They've basically just given up. Um, so, what's your thought on this this whole finite voltage of where people get to? Because you're trained for it. I mean, you're, but but. Most well, people aren't. You've, have you, as you wrote about in Concrete Jungle since 1941, yeah. Americans have had it generally pretty comfortable. I mean, they didn't wake up in the morning believing we're going to be attacked or the power grid is going to be down or there's going to, the economy is going to collapse or something like that. And now these are real things that are on the table. Right. Uh, maybe we saw something with like the uh, the nuclear you know bunker building in the, uh, the 70s and 80s where we were scared of you know, nuclear winter, but. But I, I get absolutely what you're saying there. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, I had never heard the term uh, infinite or finite voltage until you brought it up. But I, I told you about it. what I saw from the German study was soldiers start off like you're put on the front lines and they kind of suck. Like no matter how well you train them, like they're not that great. And then for about 28 days of combat, they actually get better every day. They're like learning stuff and, and you know, getting better at it. And then around like the 30th or 31st day, it starts a downhill slide, which, you know, doesn't really make sense. Like you would think if we were playing baseball or something like that, they should still be getting better. Right. But they right. don't. Right. Then by, you know, around like the 60th day, 
oh, they're they're trash. They're they're done. I mean, they're, your your entire units are falling apart. And uh, something I told you I would bring up. This is a story I don't think I've ever told anybody, but uh, I've actually seen this this finite voltage thing run out even in us, uh, even in you know U.S. troops that are very well trained and very well selected for ability to handle chaos. Uh, so my 2007 trip, I mean, it was a meat grinder. Uh, that was uh, when the surge was supposed to be happening. We were going out, we were hitting targets, you know, three, four times a night. Okay. You'd come back in the wire, uh, you'd be eating breakfast, and be like, okay, we got to go do a daylight hit, which we didn't do, and uh, we'd go do it anyway. So we were, I mean, we were just rolling hard for about 60, 70 days. And then we started taking, like, some really harsh casualties. We ended up with, like, right at one-third wounded out of my out of my unit. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. For, for this war, that was nuts. Uh, it's not like, you know, there was a year in uh, Magby Saga in Vietnam where they had 100% casualties. But, but still, 30% oh, pretty nuts yeah. for 33 So what I really started to see around that, like, third, maybe it was close to coming home time, uh, some really weird stuff started happening. Uh, I got out one night and uh, we were in some city place and you know, I got my sniper rifle off my back. And fortunately that night didn't need to take a shot because that was part of our job. We'd protect the assaulters when they're in the house doing their stuff. Uh, you know, we'd make sure that you know, reinforcements were sharp or whatever. I get home and I've got an empty gun. Okay. That, that doesn't happen. It's not like I forgot to load it because we left our guns loaded in the team room all the time. It's like I shot it empty the night before and never bothered to put new bullets in it. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's like a fireball offense if anybody knew. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And, uh, you know, at that point, I'm on like my third tour. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, a very experienced combat veteran. And uh, that was like a big check to me. Like, whoa, like, like that is not OK. And uh, you started, you know, seeing some other things like that. You know, dudes would would uh, would go out without a you know, priming system or, uh, you know, their charges would fail when they were a guy that their charge never failed before. Right. So that, that finite voltage thing is very real. So you so you saw it in people who were who were you know trained you know oh, yeah. for for this. Um, are you starting to to pick this up in yeah people in your neighborhood, relatives, people you work with, uh, people who are just emailing you, following following your stuff? Um, that um, yeah, because actually right now on on Google, for example, you know, search for depression, depression treatments, things like that. You can go in and see what's trending on Google, and it just it spiked like it's just off, it's just off. And I I talked to somebody that works at a company um, that does uh, research, and and people can participate as volunteers for depression treatment, and and they're getting inundated with people saying, wow. yeah, consider me. So these these are the kind of the the secondary indicators. Mm -hmm. um but yeah tell me from a civilian or maybe even your family wife relatives um you know kids the finite voltage of or how they've processed through this did they did they hit a point they went kind of a learning curve low or then they fatigued out or just some people burning right. out well uh you know i would say that my family handled it really well because about the 60th day of lockdown for us uh, this is also when like some some kind of new information came out. Uh, we had some friends uh, that, that work in statistics on the East Coast, and uh, they were like, "Hey, look, you know the numbers are out now, and the you know everything's going down or whatever." He's like, "Basically, this it, COVID is no more dangerous than uh, E. coli. Like, you're more likely to die from eating a salad that had E. coli in it than you bought at the grocery store in the York for COVID right now." It's like so. Basically, this is all nonsense. Uh, this is well before you know people were talking about the ninety nine point nine eight percent survival rate. 
So at that point, we were just like, yeah, mask off. We're going to do whatever we want. And that's pretty much how we live now. Right. Uh, yeah. As far as like the area, we also live in a pretty insular place. You know, Boise is like living in the 1950s in a lot of ways. So we aren't, I don't think we're seeing nearly the, uh, the depression and stuff that, that people are probably seeing in like you know, New York city, some of the other like deep urban areas that are now hit by riots and chaos and stuff too. And they're dealing with a lot more than we are. Wow. So you, you talked about, um, Okay, so th- there's something called crowd-in theory, right? So crowd-in theory um, means that, um, let's say the the during the coronavirus, we all know people are rushing to the store. I have to buy toilet paper. I have to buy pasta, canned goods, stuff like that. That that type of stuff was happening. Um, but then, you know, once once we got into a couple months, um, the buying patterns changed. So you look at the nuanced things that changed. What do people buy, or what are people buying today? And for example, paint, interior paint, um, puzzles, cardboard puzzles. Yeah. So I've been working with a major retailer through a non-disclosure agreement to get information for the book. And this has been fascinating because I said, I need to know what's selling right now that you didn't expect to sell. Like year after year, if you look back last year, um, it doesn't sell this time of year. What's just throwing you off? And, And some of these things are coming out. Um, and I do have more, you know, not the obvious things, right? Like, um, you know, again, you know, food and, and medical and, and, you know, personal care things, but, but really like weird things like why are batteries still in stock, but interior paint has been sold out. And so there's, there's this, um, there's this philosophy though, or or it's a theory crowd in theory. So crowd in theory means when you believe you are going to be at home for a long time, when, when the things are going to be unsettled around you and you're not going to be able to get out, um, it's you have this tendency to buy things that make you comfortable. So obviously like paint, you're going to be painting your house, making it more comfortable puzzles, things like that. So the study, the studies indicate, let's say, you know, you, you had a hundred dollars, right. And um, you know, at the start of the coronavirus, you take that hundred dollars and you go to the grocery store, buy whatever you could for groceries. Right. You know, I'll, I'll buy, yeah, you know, some, some obscure, you know, Hawaiian pizza just because it's there, it's food. And, um, but right now people would take that hundred dollars and maybe spend yeah 70 on food, but then they would take 30 instead of backing up their food supplies. And they would just go and they'd be like, you know, I'm going to buy this DVD or I'm going to buy this puzzle. Or I'm going to buy this, um, you know, what, whatever. And these comfort items. And it's a, it's an, it's a very interesting psychological indicator because you don't do that when you think things are getting better. Crowd in theory, crowd in theory, in theory never happens when you think things are going to get better. And it actually is very rare for this to happen in modern times. Very, very rare. Probably like Chernobyl would have been the last time, like Poland, Sweden, things like that. So to observe this right now, to me, is really disturbing. Like it's, it's very bad to see crowd in theory actually manifest. Like this is just not a good thing. Um, so, you know, that's another part. And, you know, we talked about, you know, people being frustrated, like, um, you know, my parents would go to the casinos. Now the casinos, right, are closed. And that was a big form of entertainment for them. Um, and, and, and just, you know, people, again, um, uh, you know, performances, you know, are, are shut down, baseball, um, you know, stuff that their kids are participating in, getting to this, this point where they're getting really frustrated. But um, so I, I guess I wanted to, to bring up... Um, I have a couple other people informing me on, on doing the data side on crowd in one is she, she was tracking um, fish um, antibiotics and saying fish antibiotics are sold out in a lot of places because people take them and adjust them 
for human Actually, use. Yeah, one of, the, one of the books that every prepper should own is uh, written by a doctor and nurse team. I can't remember the name of it right now. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it to you. But basically, they've they've spent like the last couple of decades learning how animal antibiotics and uh, medicines interact with human beings and have like dosage listages. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. That's one of the things that you want to stock up on. Wow. Um, so, so I guess you know, I, I'm just putting out there the, the crowd in theory. And if there's anything, you know, you've observed, you know, that's kind of like a, a, an obscure, weird purchase people are doing, or if, or if they're starting to surround themselves with things well, which are more like we're in it for the long term. That's very interesting. I, I hadn't actually heard that term before, and I didn't know this was going on either. But I, I'll tell you from my own experience now, one of the weirdest things that was happening during COVID, because I was the only one going out in our house. I'd had like, you know, mob gear and like the whole thing. And right. uh, I ended up having to go to Home Depot once or twice. And I was really shocked because our grocery stores never really got slammed here. Like I could always walk into them and, and get stuff. Like there might be some weird stuff going on, but I could always walk in and get stuff. And, uh, you know, same thing for uh, most of the places. Home Depot was the only place the parking lot was always full. I mean, no parking spaces and like line out the door for right. like, you know, 50 people deep. And uh, it's been that way consistently ever since. And uh, at first I was just kind of like, well, this is weird. But actually what you said there makes a lot of sense. I guess it's just people like, okay, this is happening. We're going to, we're going to work on the house, yeah. which is uh, kind of crazy. Uh, for my, for my own self, uh, I'll tell you this, when the COVID press were happening, I thought we were going to be locked down for, you know, potentially a very, very, very long time. I went and bought uh, four decks of cards, which are still in plastic, uh, a PS4, which has never been hooked up, okay. <laughs> and like, you know, some video games, some other nonsense, uh, because I was really like, you know, how am I going to entertain my kids and right. keep my own sanity as, uh, you know, being right. a proper Marine, too. I've actually been on a boat. I was on the USS Nassau for nine months, and uh, this was uh, 2002 into 2003. And usually big boats like that have port stops in Europe. Well, this was, you know, not that long after 9-11. And we ended up having to be the reserve for like Africa and then also the invasion of Iraq. So we were on the boat. I mean, like literally on the boat for like months and months and months, like like old timey sailors. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy. I remember in a three month period one time, we got three days off the boat in Bahrain. Uh, so people started losing it on, on the ship. Like, they were, you know, they were going nuts. The sailors, too. Uh, just because like in the modern era, nobody spends that length of time, except for submariners who are a whole yeah. different breed of animal, uh, actually confined on their little ship. Uh, and you're talking like you know, the, 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 bed in or the beds in the, uh, the birthing spaces for the Marines, it, they uh, are smaller than federal prisoner transport guidelines will allow. I, I, like I'd have to get out if I wanted to lay on my side or something too. Wow. Hard. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely nuts. And, uh, and people started going crazy. Uh, in fact, one of the things you'll always see on uh, on ships with Marines on them, at least, is every birthing area will have a, a, a big piece of cardboard duct tape to the wall somewhere that has the crack board. And, like, when somebody, like, mentally cracks and, like, loses it and starts, you know, freaking out or whatever, yes. yeah. it goes on the board. And you're, you're in stages to not get on the board. Uh, so, so they would write their name on the, what, tell me more about this board and this, this, this structure of cracking. Yeah. Like if you, if you were one of the, when you finally mentally cracked and just lost it and like, feel like I don't duct tape you until you calm down or whatever, uh, your name would go up on, on the cardboard. Like this would be, it says the crack board right on top of it. And you'd be like, you know, Clay Martin, you know, the date. And, uh, so, you know, now I look at chunks. I was the first one to crack or whatever. <laughs> so. Yes, yeah, it's kind of like things that are like well known amongst uh, you know people 
in the Navy and the Marine Corps at least. Uh, so then, you know, one of the things you have to start thinking about in a situation like that is like, how am I going to not go crazy? And yeah. I think yeah. we help people here too. With all this chaos going on in the world right now, one of the things you should be worried about is how am I going to get stronger? That's what you should be spending your quarantine great, time. Great statement, Clay. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, squatting your dining room table. Making yourself physically stronger will, one, it's going to help you with the, the endorphins, all the weird stuff that comes along with that anyway, feel a sense of accomplishment, all that. But it should also just make you feel in general better about, like, well, things might get bad, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a snap kick. So there's that piece. Uh, the other one that's weird, uh, this is something that's, that's definitely in, in my arena, but I don't know if you've noticed in yours. Uh, have you looked at uh, gun and ammunition sales in the last, since COVID? I have. You know, <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. It, absolutely. It's absolutely nuts. And this is even as like a gun guy, something that I've never seen. Uh, yeah, I do. I review guns for a living. Uh, so I always get guns in. Uh, I haven't checked the price of a gun in a very long time, but one of my wife's friends, uh, we have a, like a, a Craigslist here in Idaho that's specifically for guns. Uh, so her friend calls and like, hey, the shotgun's on. This is like early June. The shotgun's on here. Is this a good price? I was like, I don't know. I'll go check. I have never once in my life seen every online retailer in this country sold out of every Mossberg shotgun. Like, yeah, they're gone. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, ammunition is now trading for like, almost three times the price it was pre COVID and you absolutely, can't absolutely. And the, the volume of guns and ammunition that we had to have sold in the last four months is, I mean, it's, it's staggering. It is absolutely staggering. And I think that says a lot about the mindset of people right now too. Like uh, that's, that's not yeah. normal behavior. That's, that's certainly not normal behavior when you're out of a job. Right. And, and again, you know, we haven't seen this before as you indicated that. And then you couple that in with, with uh, kind of the crowd in, behavior because right if if, if um you know a hurricane is going to hit or wildfire or something like that i mean there might be some uptick and there typically is some uptick in in uh you know purchase of weapons and in self-defense for property but nothing like this which is you know completely focused on protecting property because of what we've we've seen uh, with protests and a response then by politicians to uh direct law enforcement to not intervene um so yeah it's it, and um and once you see a, a video of, um, you know, somebody driving their car and uh, either into a protest uh, inadvertently, right, or right. a protest surrounds them and, you know, they're they're being dragged out of a car. I mean, the mentality changes um, really fast with people. Um, as, as you indicated, you know, the video games, um, like in Germany, yeah, video games were quickly sold out. And, and they were like retro, they were repairing uh, old consoles and, and this whole, you know, Craigslist and... Craigslist is a terrific thing too, Clay, to watch for what's happening. Because I studied Craigslist, and it's it's in the book that'll be coming out, the next book uh, here, Velocity of Information. Um, the first two weeks of COVID on Craigslist, we had sixty thousand new ads in the Madison area. Sixty thousand new ads on on Craigslist, and here's what. It, and there were some common themes, and it wasn't just Madison area, it was Seattle, Washington, other things. Before Seattle kind of went totally bonkers. Here's what people were doing: anything for cash, right? I'll, I'll sell you. I'll sell you um, my, yeah, my Wisconsin thing with my Rick and Morty, Mr. <laughs> Meeseeks right here. Hi, Mr. Meeseeks. Look at me. Um, I'll, sell, I'll sell you this for $20 or best offer. Everything was or best offer. And another thing, people would deliver. They would drive 
this out to you, electronics, whatever it was. So I had a friend that bought like a laptop, you know, for, uh, you know, 200 bucks that, you know, was like a $2,000 laptop right. or something. Um, so you saw this Orpus offer. And the other thing was a firewood. So I heat my house with wood. Um, yeah. And people who were who were putting these ads on, you know, I'll deliver a quart of firewood for like 30 bucks of hardwood. And you know, in, in, in this area, something like that delivered normally be like 100 bucks. So you started to see this really weird pattern of people just dumping whatever they could or best offer and I'll deliver it. And then it, it as you said, right now, it's this whole secondary market for trading for ammunition, bartering for ammunition. Here's what I have. Um, and and. So that is definitely um, very prevalent on on Craigslist. Outside of um, yeah, it, uh, cash, it's it's I'll I'll barter for you know these right. these things. And um, so oh my god, I mean, I I wrote so I, I wanted to to hit on those two things. And and um, you know the, the another thing too with people buying all of this and, and doing this crowd in theory, if you go back and you look at um, uh, Germany during World War II, people would get rid of cash because they didn't know if cash would hold value right. or if you'd have hyperinflation as you indicated, which I think is very likely. Um, so people would say, well, I'm better off to have these 10 things around me and actually have them and I can touch them and manipulate, you know, these, these items versus money that was in the bank that just got wiped out. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so we're also seeing people, I think who, even though they don't need things they're buying things because this thing is at least something i might be able to trade with or if everything else is gone this is here um and what hyperinflation you know might manifest at is you know insurance or inflation rates you know right now uh, as a five-year cd someone who's saving a certificate of, of deposit five years you can't even get two percent anymore but hey like back in the 70s you know a five years cd could get you 20 percent. <laughs> so you know right. as hyperinflation things have kind of come down but what would that mean inflation went up and you know the amount of, of money you'd have to pay for yeah groceries or, or services and all of these things and and again um you know as, as i just shared i've never seen what i've observed in the last week for a move away from cash i have never ever observed a number of stores, people from all over in my network telling me, yeah, the store is saying we're not going to give out whatever. There's incentive to use credit card. Um, and, and other people saying I had to go to th three banks to, you know, withdraw $600 because we're going on, you know, a vacation or something. And my bank only let me take out 200, even though I have you oh. know $5,000 in a savings account because they don't have fractional reserve lending anymore uh, since the CARES Act. So really a bank doesn't have to have any money. I mean, a bank literally, if you actually went into your bank today and had an honest talk with like the head of the bank, they'd probably be like, yeah, we've got, you know, like, I don't know, $6,000 in 20s. <laughs> and what we used to have, you know, twice that much. And it's just this big institution people have to trust in. But this is crazy, man. I didn't know that about the cash. That's nuts. And that's a very bad sign. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give up a lot of this bad sign. You're, you're right. As, as we talk. So this is this is such a value of, of this show, of having a member chat network, of the work that you do, the books that you put together, um, especially Concrete Jungle. Uh, but you know, we, we pick these pieces of information up and we start to put the mosaic together, right? And we start to see, oh, this is this is really something, there's a lot of levels. There's a financial level, there's a psychological level, there's a consumer purchase level. Um, you see it's, you know, firearms being sold out, a secondary market for firearms, secondary market for goods. Um, so yeah, um, I guess in closing, what's, 
it, you know, I'll put the book Concrete Jungle. Please, uh, please buy uh, Clay's Clay's book. Um, you know, subscribe to his um, to his content. Uh, it is it is incredible. He's lived it. It's it's authentic. Um, you will definitely uh, appreciate it. So I've got it, you know, over here. Um, I guess what's your words of advice uh, for people? Become a dangerous person. Become very hard to kill. And I think, so you, you talked about, um, you know, fitness being a part of that. So right off the bat, I mean, become more fit. You're more likely to be able to get yourself to safety and be able to recover uh, from an injury. Right. If, um, fitness yeah. matters. I mean, I, I've even seen this in people that are shot. Uh, like if you are, this sounds stupid, but if you are a more fit human being, with with higher cardiovascular and endurance, that kind of thing, you will survive a gunshot that would have killed somebody else. Uh, you'll survive a gunshot that would have killed an obese person just because once they already have trauma to their chest, like all that extra weight just just basically puts them under. I mean, they 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 can't survive on that little bit of oxygen where you know a high performance athlete can. Uh, it it matters. It matters a huge amount. Uh, I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, and the the stronger you are, the harder you are to kill. I'm going to give uh, give a shout out to uh, Drew Bay. Drew Bay is a, a friend of the show. He's been on the show before. Drew Bay, um, and you're familiar, Clay, with Drew? Oh yeah, we're friends. Hey, right, good, good. So, so Drew Bay, um, high intensity training, but uh, just check out DrewBay.com or Bay.com. And and part of it, you know, with well, not a big a big part of it with school safety, for example. Um, you know, Drew said kids need to be be more fit. I mean, this was before the COVID thing. This is like a year ago, but you know, just in general, we need kids to be more fit. And that's not in case necessarily an assailant comes on camp campus, but you know, somebody. Uh, falls off a piece of playground equipment or, you know, a bus is in an accident or something, you know, then kids on a bus that they will, they'll be in better condition uh, to rebound from that or, or to, to survive that instant. So that's something I've taken to heart. Um, I follow Drew's, Drew's work. Um, you know, I, I bike, I, I try to bike, uh, do at least one 80 mile bike trek a week um, right. and, and work out. So I'll, I'll run tonight. It was too hot to, to safely uh, bike today, but yeah, get yourself in shape. Um, and, and then I guess, um, what would you, in closing, somebody contacts you or even a relative friend or just somebody out of the blue and they say, I'm really depressed. Like this stuff has just really got me down. I don't see it getting any better. I just see it getting worse. What's, what's the point? I mean, not someone who's, you know, thinking of taking their own life, but just someone who's, who's having a hard time. They're like, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm typically a positive person. Um, I'm just having a hard time right now. Um, how do you, uh, what do you tell that person? I tell them hard times make hard men, and uh, this is the cycle of life, man. This is like the Lion King, dude. It's the circle of life, bro. Okay. <laughs> we're going to have some bad times, and that's how we're going to get back to the good times. And uh, you just have to get – you have to be one of the people that's going to help, you know, pull the wagon through the mud, and uh, that's what you got to do. You got you to gotta buck up a little camper. It's, it's, it's an ugly world, and uh, we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice, and um, I I would refer to it when I was a school administrator. I referred to it as a like a non-negotiable. Um, you know, that's somebody who said, "Well, I don't, you know, I don't want to go out, and I don't want to." It's actually crazy, but I don't want to go out and do recess duty. You know, it's it's cold, and I I'm like, it's non-negotiable. You have to do it. <laughs> Everybody takes a turn. You have to take a turn. It's we're, we're not negotiating it. And once you tell people it's a non-negotiable. Um, I think people handle things really well. Actually, I know that from um, when I worked with school districts th where a school shooting has happened, 
um, you know, we have to just identify, here's the point that we're at. We have to move forward. You know, we, we can forensically look at things uh, for a certain point of time. We want to understand what happened, but we cannot linger uh, in this past. We cannot just focus on this, this forensic event. We have to take this and move forward. Your website I have up on the screen. Is there anything I can uh, point out here on the website? Is It is offthereservation.com. Again, I'll link this this out um, in the in the show posting, but uh, what would people be able to find here on the, the website? There is the, yeah, the Concrete Jungle tab. It's got some free chapters. Uh, in fact, I feel like the most important ones, uh, you know, look, people have a rough time economically right now. You can't buy the book. I totally get it. But the information is still out there. And that was put out there uh specifically for that reason like we need people to get ready to survive uh you know i need i need my people to to win so please if, even if you don't want anything to do with the book t t take a look at that tab okay um how about uh, fake commando jessup <laughs> oh my god that's a that is a crazy story about this uh fake special forces guy that i ran to when i came to boise and yeah. uh, he just wouldn't quit so i finally had to write the whole story cool. all true if You've got some, and so in addition to um, Concrete Jungle, uh, how about your your other books? Uh, both fictional, uh, Last Son of the War God. Uh, you know, they're kind of fun books. Uh, I don't know if people are really ready to be entertained right now, but uh, that's pretty much what they were written for. They were entertainment based. You know, very much of what I saw in my career. Uh, completely fictional works, but but uh, I mean, they're good reads. Awesome. Um, I'm going to get out of out of this so um clay any anything else before we wrap up today's show well thanks for having me on man it was uh, it was very interesting uh, uh i hope that we talk again i, I find your work fascinating actually that was a big <laughs> well, thank you thanks yeah it's um uh, so yeah i i largely centered to the area of, of school safety and um it, it's interesting uh, very fascinating right now because with schools um I had predicted that schools would be uh, buying all of these UV light devices and, and special, you know, antiviral mist and all of that, because um, that's typically what happens for school safety, right? People want to see things; it's customer perceived value. That's why we have window films and, and some of these other things. And I'm not seeing it, right? I'm not seeing it right now. And so I, I was studying it, and the reason I'm not seeing it is these things just aren't out; they're not available for purchase. They've been sold out. The, right. the hospitals have bought them up. The prison systems have bought them up. So the schools don't even have access to these wow. things. Because I'm like, why? <laughs> Anybody would be making a, a mint off of this because it's just the way, again, schools work. Customer perceived value. Parents want to see things. And it's like the schools um, just don't have access to to any of these things. Um, but I but I become, I took School of Errors. It looked deeply at, for example, 9-11, how the rescue 500,000 people happened in nine hours. Temporary autonomous zones, um, not not the kind of Seattle, but kind of how these systems create and then during a disaster, then is dissolved. And right now, I'm working on, um, yeah, the velocity of information, which is fascinating because it's a, we've touched upon it quite a bit. But it's how you process information during a disaster, largely right. if you're a civilian, right? Because right. Um, just how civilian populations and then different hall, different um, demarcation lines. So once you get to 90 days, um, once you get beyond that, and we saw some things. We saw like, you know, the parades for first responders. And there are many people now who are looking at that and and pegging that and saying that was actually, you know, it's a propaganda uh, event for morale for, uh, you know, so they're looking at that. They're looking at when the, the protests happen and we're, we're piecing all these things on a timeline. So it's pretty fascinating. Um, 
but yeah, it is, it is crazy times. Uh, I'm 48. I've never seen this. You know, my parents are in their eighties. They're like, we've never seen this. So as you said, we, you, we have to take it. We have to process it. We have to be strong. We have to have a, a network. We have to listen to things like this. We have to, um, to become informed. And, uh, so that's good. All right, Clay, um, everybody, Clay Martin is, um, you can, you can, you know, please check out, um, his, his book, Concrete Jungle, uh, just a tremendous person. Thank you so much for being on the Safety Doc Podcast. All right. Thanks a lot, David. It was a fantastic time, bro. I hope to come back on. You bet. Thanks, Clay. All right. Thanks. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.